The reading is taken from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 to 25. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, James. And why don't we just pray? Father, give us uh, ears to hear what you're saying to us today. Give us hearts that will understand. Give us the courage to put into practice what you are calling us to do and be in this week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the Radio 1 Breakfast Show um, runs a segment called Unpopular Opinion, in which the uh, host, Greg James, invites listeners to share their unpopular opinions, um, which are then put to some celebrity guests uh, uh, on the show for analysis. Um, Here are a few examples of some of the listeners' unpopular opinions. Um, Number one, Monday is the best day of the week (laughs) because it offers a fresh start. I don't think that would be, um, go down very well in my family um, on a school morning. Um, number two, birdsong is unpleasant and aggressive. <laughs> Mornings would be better without it. <laughs> there you go. Um, three, a fork is a better tool than a spoon for brewing tea. I don't know. No Guess you can't knock it if you haven't tried it. Um, okay, this one's, this is heading into the grosser area. Um, pulling plugs of hair from drains is really satisfying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hmm. um, and okay, this one's going to get me in trouble here. Um, if you're not used to All Souls, what you'll notice is there's a church where lots of people seem to bring their dogs. Um, here we go. You ready? Dogs should never, ever be given human names. I don't know. I'm sorry, Martha. I'm sorry, Lola. I'm trying to think of other dogs that we've got here who are there. What's Baggins? Okay, that's like a, a, a what is it called? Lord of the Rings. 
Uh, yeah, there we go. We're fine. Um, I'm not in trouble this morning. This evening's service may be a different matter. That's okay. Um, I wonder what your most unpopular opinion would be. Um, uh, maybe something you could discuss later over lunch or with a friend. Um, there is much about the Christian faith that is considered uh, laudable, um, is widely embraced beyond the church and, and into wider society. But then there are things that are not um, so universally welcomed. And I guess that shouldn't come as a surprise to people who follow a saviour who is executed essentially for expressing a number of very unpopular opinions and boldly challenging the social norms of the day. Um, for the benefit of those who are here for the first time this morning, I'm sorry, um, this isn't a, a particular special baptism sermon. We're in the middle of a, a series um, uh, looking at soul keeping. And uh, it's... Uh, it's something we've been doing for a couple of months now. Um, we've just got a few weeks to go. And I'd suggest that thus far in the series, a lot of what we've looked at, a lot of what we've talked about, wouldn't be considered particularly controversial. Um, so if we can get past the uh, facts that to many in society, the idea that we have, or rather that we, we are a soul, um, by which we mean, as, as Rach said last week, quoting uh, from Dallas Willard, an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. To many, that idea is just ridiculous. Then, well, then much of what we said about the needs of the soul probably sounds fairly agreeable. You know, the soul needs rest. The soul needs blessing. The soul needs a future. The soul needs satisfaction. The soul needs gratitude. If you take out the word um, soul, defined as who we are before God, as we were made to be. And if you replace it with self, defined by psychologist Martin Seligman as a tiny little unit that cannot bear the weight of meaning, then there's not much that people will get um, upset about in that list of things that we've been saying that the soul needs, even if half of it makes no sense without God. However, today's subject is um, a little more tricky, not just uh, or not because of what it sounds like on the, on the surface, um, the soul needs freedom, but because of what it means in practice. So um, that's the subject for today. The soul needs freedom. Um, just once again, if, you, if you're sort of coming into this in the middle of this series or you're wondering uh, how we've got here, then you can catch up if you really want to on our Facebook pages or our SoundCloud page um, where you can hear all the other talks in this series from a range of speakers. So the soul needs freedom, and freedom is certainly a, a kind of a buzzword of our age, isn't it? The logic goes something like this. Um, restriction is bad, especially when it comes to the self. Fulfillment lies in the self experiencing total freedom. Boundaries, therefore, are bad, and they prevent us from being authentically ourselves, and they make us unhappy. So freedom, by that definition, is to have everything that you want and to be everything you wish to be without restriction. But that's not the image that the Bible paints of true freedom, soul freedom. So let's take a look at our reading from Galatians 5. So um, to explain, Galatians is a, is a letter in the Bible written by a man called Paul who went from being the kind of chief persecutor of the church 
to one of its greatest leaders. And he's writing to a collection of churches in Galatia, um, that's kind of modern day Turkey, if you know the geography around there, kind of the interior of Turkey. Um, it was a region that Paul had visited on one of his missionary journeys, and you can read about it in Acts 13 and 14 if you're interested. And Paul, as is often the case, is writing this letter from prison, um, or at least under house arrest. And the thing that's caused him to write this letter is a concern about what's going on in this uh, young church. Um, the church in its, in its early days, so it's the first century of the church, is made up of two groups. First, you've got the Jews, who are the kind of the original people of God who lived under the Torah, the teachings, the laws of the Old Testament. And then crucially, in places like Galatia, the church had grown to include people from other uh, ethnicities, other backgrounds, other races, um, aka Gentiles, um, i.e. people who didn't have that Old Testament background, that context with all its religious uh, regulations and practices. And actually, a, a huge theme in the writings of the New Testament, when you take them together, is addressing this challenge of people groups who have been historically divided, reconciling and becoming one body in, under Christ. You know, the, the church has sometimes been accused in some quarters of jumping on the bandwagon when it comes to matters of racial justice, especially in the last year or so, which is ridiculous because the early church was built on this radical idea that we are all equally precious to God. The church was actually known as a place of radically countercultural togetherness and working out what it looked like to truly reconcile and value everyone. That's what the New Testament is about. The, the, Paul's writing, because this church is trying to work out now what to do, therefore, in the light of all that with all the Old Testament law. So should the, should the Gentile Christians, that's the non-Jews, should they adopt all the ancient Jewish practices or not? And um, Paul was kind of writing to explain to them essentially no, but then with a, a, a but. And his argument is that the, the law or the laws were useless for anyone trying to make themselves right with God. Essentially the Old Testament, that's the Old Testament in a nutshell. That's the New Testament. The Old Testament in a nutshell is all about mankind's best efforts to make ourselves right with God falling short again and again and again. So the Old Testament um, reveals the need for Jesus to come and be our saviour by dying uh, in our place to take the consequences of our sin and putting us right with God by trusting in and, and, and living for him. So the reverse logic that you've got in, in Galatians is kind of what I described about society today and how it views freedom, which is to say, well, you know, if Jesus died for me, I don't need to live according to the, the Torah, then surely I'm just free to do whatever I want. Um, you know, party on. And uh, Paul is, is saying, that's not it at all. So he says, this is verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So a quick word about this word flesh, because um, the key words in this parish are in this in this passage are flesh and the spirit. Flesh is the kind of New Testament shorthand for the sinful state of human beings. It's not. This is really important. It's not saying that the body is is bad and the spirit is good. Um, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about um, Platonistic heresies that saw. Um, the ancient Greeks, they, they saw the, the humans being made up of an essentially sort of good spiritual part. 
component trapped in an essentially bad physical body. And the Bible doesn't teach that. It's the health of the whole that matters. Our bodies will perish, but we will be raised to new life with resurrection bodies, not as kind of disembodied spirits. Church hasn't taught this well over the ages. So Paul has been talking about freedom from the law, but now he's saying, you know, don't think this means that you can just do whatever you like. If you do that, you're looking at this the wrong way. And the distinction we're looking at is that we tend to think about, um, and the Galatians were, freedom in terms of freedom from something. But the Bible talks about freedom for something. So when a criminal completes their sentence, they are set free. They're set free from prison. But being set free is only the start. The real question is how they're going to use that freedom. What have they been freed for? And Paul is saying to the Galatians, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Use it to serve each other with love. Just going to take a quick drink. Talk amongst yourselves. Say hello. Say one word that has struck you so far. (laughs) So this is what he calls living by the Spirit. Okay, this is verse 16. So I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh to the flesh. There's these two different natures. And he, he goes on to describe what those desires look like in practice. Um, and what he's describing here is, is just simply the prevailing culture that exists in and around Galatia at the time. These were the cultural norms of the day, verses 19 to 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, go and see what Jesus says in Luke and and, and what Jesus models where he brings the kingdom of God. Paul is saying, don't think that's what freedom looks like. It isn't. And instead, he describes a, a totally different and radical model of freedom. Um, those of us who are with, our, uh, you know, with us for the uh, s- series over the summer on the fruit of the Spirit, these verses will sound familiar. In fact, why don't we just say this, um, these words out together, because I've been talking a while. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Paul is saying this is what freedom in Christ looks like. That's the kind of freedom that the soul needs. Hang on a minute. How can self-control be freedom? Isn't that the opposite of what society says? Freedom is being able to do whatever I like, whenever I like. Brackets, as long as it doesn't um, harm anyone else or at least not harm anyone else in a way that I can be tagged for it. So let's just rewind for a minute and think about how those two models of freedom play out. Here's three examples of what it would look like to apply that ultimate working out of personal freedom. I shouldn't be bound by speed limits. I shouldn't have to pay taxes. I shouldn't have to be faithful to my wife. Those are just restrictions placed upon my personal freedom. 
That's freedom from thinking. Um, this is what it looks like in reverse. By sticking to the speed limit, I am freeing myself and those around me for a safer journey with less environmental impact, by the way. By paying my taxes, I'm helping to create a society where I and others enjoy freedom for law and order or medical treatment or education or a bunch of other things. And by restricting my freedom to sleep around, I am freed to enjoy a faithful marriage. That's freedom for faithfulness. None of those freedoms come without some form of restriction on my individual freedom. Alcohol is another great example, isn't it? You know, you are legally, for the most part, in most times, in most places, you are legally free to drink as much as you like. But if you take unlimited advantage of that freedom, you will lose the freedom to be sober. You'll start to forfeit your freedom to be healthy. You might start to embarrass your kids. You might start to lose your job. You know, we've all known people whose freedom to drink has led them to being totally trapped by alcoholism. Statistically, for some of us in this room, um, you know, that person will be ourselves. That's just a, an overwhelming probability. And if that's you or if you're watching online, please don't think I'm beating up on you. Um, in fact, I want you to know that we're here for you. You know, we're, we want to be a church that uh, supports each other with love, like Paul describes to the Galatians. We all need help. Come talk to us. Maybe we can help you on your journey back to freedom. And clearly, alcohol isn't the only thing that we get trapped by, right? Um, so personal freedom doesn't always set us free. And this is especially true in the case of the soul, which is why John Ortberg in this book that we're using kind of for this series says the soul sits in its own prison, having locked the door and to its surprise, thrown away the key what it means to be trapped. We are experts in trapping ourselves. Freedom is clearly not simply about the absence of constraint. You know, in the Old Testament, we read the story of God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, then you kind of know the story, kind of. Um, but the truth is, being brought out of the land of slavery is just the start for Israel. That's the freedom from bit of the equation. The truth is, it turns out to be much harder for them to step uh, into the freedom for which uh, God has rescued them. Tom Wright says there are two journeys of liberation in Exodus. The first is to get the Israel out of slavery. The second is to get slavery out of Israel. That's what Paul is saying to the Galatians here. And it echoes this freedom challenge, this freedom choice that we face today. So what does a journey into soul freedom look like? And how does it work? Well, first, we've, we have to recognize that the, that the flesh, remember that doesn't mean our bodies per se, it's rather the sinful state of human beings, is real. Sin is real. And it's a real problem that robs us of freedom. Sin comes in the form of deliberate, pre premeditated actions and words, um, but it's also an overall orientation of the heart, behavior patterns and habits that we can't control and we don't know how to shut down. Something at the heart of humanity is broken. We don't even have to learn to be sinful. It's just there from the start. Believe me, I've got three small children. 
They didn't have to learn it. They didn't have to learn selfishness or other things. They're great, by the way. I love my children. In case they're watching this back, it's terrible. I normally have to pay, I've said before, I have to pay commission to my children if I use them as an illustration in a sermon. I'm just saying it's there. It's natural, right? None of us as parents have to teach our children to be more sinful. Anyway. So the Bible teaches that freedom starts with recognizing that we are not free. And at the core of that is a broken relationship with God. Second thing is to recognize that no amount of trying will ever truly free us. We are all trapped in ways that cannot be overcome by just sheer willpower. Get some way on some of those things. We won't get all the way. You want to stop drinking, but you can't. You want to have a happy, cheerful, optimistic attitude, but you can't. You want to stop shouting at the kids, but you fail. You want to be brilliant at managing your anger, but you aren't. You like to think that you're becoming less selfish and more generous, but you're not really. Just a few examples from this book. One study suggests that over 40% of our daily actions are the result of habit, not decision. So we can try and overcome those habits, but this is one of my favorite books, uh, quotes from this book. Habit eats willpower for breakfast. Willpower won't free us ultimately. We need a new set of habits. Coming into land here. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. That is a hugely countercultural statement. It says that we are better, more free, letting someone else set our boundaries. It says in God's restriction, there is freedom. It goes right back to those stories from the garden that we've been looking at over the, the last few weeks. That's the message of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. There is a God and you aren't him. And that, my friends, is an unpopular opinion. It's about as unpopular as it gets. It's a question of who calls the shots in our lives. This isn't easy. It's, it's learning to be what Paul says in another letter, in the world, but not of the world. It's something that we're going to spend some more time in the new year, in fact, getting into. Um, we're going to do a teaching series on Daniel, who I think we sang briefly about in our song earlier. Um, Daniel, who famously found himself trying to live freely God's way in a totally foreign um, and uh, culture that was entirely opposed to him living God's way, including lions and all the rest of that. But the place for us to end this morning is, I guess, just to return to that verse in Galatians 5, to take hold of the core of Paul's message here. And that is that true freedom comes from the Holy Spirit living in us and from us learning to live his way, learning to live in step with him. You may wonder why every service we pray, come Holy Spirit. And this is why the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence, which Jesus promised his followers. You know, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we're mini temples of God's presence. He's here to guide us, to heal us, to set us free. We just have to ask him to come and do that. And Jesus promised that he will. So that I'm free to be the a uh, person, the husband, the dad, the vicar, the friend, the neighbor that I want to be, or rather he wants me to be. That's what freedom looks like. The soul needs freedom.